Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show, guys, girls. Today is episode number 40. It's like the 72nd week of April 2020. I don't I don't know anymore. All the days look the same in quarantine. But uh, this is the big 4-0. It is, 40 is a lot of episodes. Um, and I appreciate each and every one of you listeners. You guys have embraced it. Uh, Fast Brackets Nation is growing each and every week. It is outstanding. Uh, so nice work to all of you out there in the nation. Um, that being said, on top of having all activities and all racing-related activities halted, now the hits just keep on coming. Now we get word that Top Gun has been postponed. Uh, the release date was in June, and now it's been pushed to December Man, the Rona has gone way too far now, man. Um, You know, I can't wait to see if Pete Mitchell is going to continue to keep up foreign relations uh, while inverted. So uh, very disappointing uh, on top of everything else that's going on in the world. Um, That being said, I hope you and your family are safe. These are certainly challenging times for all of us. So hang in there. Um, but before the earth explodes, do yourself a favor and subscribe uh, so that you are the first to get each new episode of the Frass Brackets podcast. You can do it on iTunes. That's that purple icon on your Apple iPhone. Uh, you can also do it on, on the Android. You can get it on the SoundCloud app. That's pretty good as well. So message me directly if you're having a hard time getting that set up. I'm happy to help you. We have two incredible guests for you guys this week. Uh, I'm really excited to have them on. Uh, Jeff Gillette, who's a standout Division Seven top sportsman racer, is going to join us. And then Alan Reinhardt, the voice of the NHRA, is going to join us and talk a little shop as well. So really excited to have those guys on here. I cannot wait to get them on. So let's go ahead and do it. Let's get to it. Get to do whatever, whatever it is that you do while you're listening to podcasts. You know, make your commute to work, clean the shop, work on the old heap, whatever it is, metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. You know, last week we talked about Kaizen and constant improvement uh, during this time of lockdown and I'm going to break it down for you right now. I'm improved. At least I'm calling myself improved, and I hope you all are as well. Um, But at least I'm improved enough to get myself out of this quarantine. Uh, It it is getting to be way, way too much. Uh, The results are starting to come in now. The Rona is deadly. There's no doubt about that. But it's beatable, Um, and that is really, really big news Um, But we have to break out of this thing. We have to get back to work. We have to get back to our lives, and we have to get back to our normal routines. Um, But just maybe add in a little bit of caution as well. Um, A couple things we know now about the Rona is that it is attacking the elderly and the obese for whatever reason. Um, You know, so if you're going to about to get back out there or still working or you're in the public for whatever reason, 
please increase your levels of vitamin C and vitamin D. Cut the sugars out as much as you can. That is absolutely terrible for your immune system. And then, you know, just keep a safe distance from everybody as well. Um, you know, we also know that this isn't going away anytime soon. It's the new reality. But uh, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm nervous a little bit for our manufacturers. Um, too much downtime could be, you know, just play into this thing. Uh, quite a bit. We know that racing takes a lot of money to work. Uh, we all know the joke that it uh, these cars run on dollars and not fuel. But uh, I have gone on record to say that I think drag racing could potentially be a winner at the end of this simply because it is outdoors. There's plenty of room at the racetrack to social distance, etc. Except at the water box of uh, some uh, outlaw events, I would say. But um, I made this comment to a friend the other day, and I, I think I'd like your thoughts on it as well. The Rona is to the flu as pit bulls are to dogs. And hear me out when I say this. Uh, first of all, pit bulls are very polarizing. Seemingly, everybody has a very strong opinion about them. Either you love them, and they're the greatest dogs on the planet, or they should just be put down for existing. I, for the most part, am non-committal on the subject, but uh, I do know this because the research is very clear on those guys. Um, pit bulls attack at about the same rate as every other breed, meaning not much, historically speaking. Uh, but when they do attack, they have the tools to do the job they intend. And the results are not good for whatever it decides to attack. Uh, pit bulls and beagles and chihuahuas all attack at the same rate. Um, problem is, Chihuahua might might uh, break your skin. Beagles are probably going to slobber on you when they get really mad, and then pit bulls will take your arm off. So um, that's what this is. It's a lot like the flu. Not many people are getting it, but those that do are really going to have to battle. And uh, so, to me, that's kind of how I'm viewing all this stuff. And Certainly doesn't mean that I'm not going to go about my everyday business, but you know I'm going to take a little extra precaution because I can't tell if that uh, tail is wagging or not. Uh, but uh, you know, by now I think almost all of us know someone who's been affected and understand the severity of it, and yet we've got to get back at it. We've got to get back to work. We've got to get our uh, our liberties back. We've got to get our souls back um, and get back out and doing this thing. So uh, for all of us, for all of us, um, racers, manufacturers, sponsors, etc., when we do, when we do get back, that racetrack is going to be a beautiful place, man. All right, let's put it in the beams. Um, on with us now is a former Division 7 Comp Eliminator champion. He's a two-time Division 7 Top Sportsman champion. He's a three-time 790 Index Super Eliminator champion, and he's a four-time West Coast Top Sportsman champion. Welcome to the show, Jeff Gillette. Thank Jeff. you, Rex, for having me. I figure uh, you must be lacking for content to be calling me, but that's okay. <laughs> No, no, not at all. Um, I I wanted to get you on because I think you've got a great story, and uh, also just um, you know I I wanted to hear your perspective a little bit. So 
you, you've had a tremendous career, um, but maybe take us back and tell us how this career started for you. Well, it's a painfully long story, but when I was young, my uncle dabbled with a Mustang, and he introduced me to a friend that had a complimentator car. And he took, kind of took us under his wing and said, hey, if you want to go racing, I'll take you with me, but it's no free ride. We worked. I mean, we worked weekends. We worked nights. But we were 14 years old, and we got to run around the country and go NHRA drag racing. And that's where I met one of my best friends in life, Barry, who's still my partner to this day in the car. We were just kids working on a comp car, tearing engines apart, going drag racing, and uh, it was pretty spectacular. Yeah, that's a, that sounds like a really good time. Oh, I was 14 years old and traveling up and down the road and going to places I'd never been and, uh, you know, kind of learning a trade. And it was a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It yeah. was really good to us. So you really started on the comp side of things then. Um, and is that uh, the first class then that you raced in competitively? Uh, I started with a street car and I bracket race. But, I mean, the way I was raised, comp was real racing. That's all I ever wanted to do was race comp eliminator. Right. That was that was the coolest thing going. Yeah, that's uh, right. Heads up uh, for the most part with, um, you know, different – Index is thrown in there, but uh, yeah, like it, it is good, right? It's first to the finish type stuff for the most part, and and certainly different than bracket racing that way. Um, but do you really, since that's what you want to do, you that's really where you got your feet wet, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I spent every dime I had. I was way underfunded. I was just a mechanic working in a Chevrolet dealership. I didn't have the money to keep up, but we worked hard. I mean, we did our own engines. You know, we'd race on Sunday and have the thing down to the block on Monday. And uh, we were always trying to go faster and always trying to keep up with the big guys. Yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, it sounds like a lot of work, but also like a lot of fun. I mean, really trying to uh, to get after it and learn and and uh, just try to make the car better each and every week. Uh, it was always fun to work on and go to the dyno and see improvements and, you know, go to the track and run fast, too. That was very rewarding. Right. Very expensive, but very rewarding. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Um, and then it, at some point, you've made uh, the transition very successfully, I'll say, uh, to top sportsman. How did how'd you get involved uh, more so in top sportsman and, and less in comp? Well, I had this uh, hand-me-down Firebird I got from Ben Watson, and I was running E-Altered Automatic. And we, were, we put an engine together and, and ran pretty fast with it and then lost a whole bunch of index at home. So we were going testing. Dennis Sarmento and John Campoy had this class mainly running a Sacramento raceway, but it was top sportsmen and they kept, you know, leaning on me, come run with them. So I said, well, I'll go to Sacramento, I'll go testing and work on my top sportsman car. So the first race I go to, I never even been down the track and I go to Sacramento and I go to the semis. Second race we go to, we get runner up. The third race we go to, we win. And I came home one day, and my wife looked at me, and she goes, you're an idiot. She goes, you go to all these comp races and get your butt kicked, and you come home from top sportsman races, and you tell me how much fun you're having. Goes, Why don't you quit screwing around and go run top sportsman? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I never really thought about it. I guess that's a good idea. And uh, We all sat down and talked and said, let's give this a whirl. We were doing it with a small block. We had a 331-inch small, uh, small block, you know, spinning the thing 10,500 and – uh, it ran like 770s, but we were racing top sportsmen with it. So we said, if we're going to do this, we're going to build a big engine. So sure. we put a big block in the car. 
There you go. Yeah, so uh, your your wife was the voice of reason, reason then. Uh, she has been all my life. She's kept me out of a lot of trouble. She protects me from me. So <laughs> uh, That's good stuff. Um, so you um, started with that Firebird at the small block. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your car right now? What do you, what do you drive today? So the car I have is a 06 GTO Haas car. Um, the guys that helped me out of Watson Racing, uh, they ran Pro Stock. And this was a car that was basically outdated sitting in their shop. And they're really, really good to us. I mean, we run all pro-stock hand-me-down stuff. We have manifolds, carburetors, cylinder heads, camshafts, everything right out of the pro-stock car. And the stuff that, you know, they look at, it's down just a little bit or not quite good is really, really good for what we do. So I sit in the background waving my hand going, me, 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 I need those, I need those. (laughs) And uh, they help us a lot. They supply us with all our pieces and uh, do our machine work for us. And I, I couldn't do... What I do at the level we do without their help. That that's fantastic, um, and I think uh, well at least you know part of the attraction to a lot of top sportsmen for a lot of top sportsmen guys come from the pro stock uh, world, just because you know we're if you're a door car guy you're a door car guy, and you gotta uh, love pro stock. Yeah, I mean it's it's fantastic, um, and so um, are you pulling gears in that thing or did you put a, an automatic in it? Nah, I'm a sissy. I got a power glide in it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, that's uh, nothing. There are a few guys pulling, and I didn't know if that uh, how if that was another thing you pulled out of their pro stock shop was a was a uh, five speed. But uh, well, um, oh, it was up to them. They'd be in there for sure. <laughs> right. Um, well, you've you've been doing that. Uh, made made life just a little bit easier for yourself that way. Um, but uh, when you're not racing, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing on day-to-day for yourself there, Jeff. Well, my my partner, Ed Shuck, and I have a couple transmission shops. Uh, Ed Shuck has a top dragster and ran comp for years and years. So, I mean, we, you know, like the rest of the world, we work 10, 11, 12 hours a day trying to make enough money to go racing. Um, so we have two locations, and then we have a small wholesale business where we sell remanufactured transmissions. So we stay pretty busy. Gotcha. And where, where exactly are you located then, Jeff? Uh, you're in Northern California, correct? Yeah, we're our shop's about an hour from Sonoma Raceway. Okay. Kind of across the bay from Sacramento or from um, San Francisco. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so then um, for this year. Um, did you did you have uh, big plans, or I guess it's maybe we've all been kind of knocked off our heels a little bit? But uh, what were your plans for 2020 in terms of uh, you know your racing schedule? Honestly, even before all this happened, it just destroyed our business. We were up in the air. Uh, other than Sonoma being so close, our average tow to go to a division race is 12 hours. And, you know, we were looking at it kind of going, yeah, what are we going to do? It's just Northern California is no place to live if you want to chase NHRA points. <laughs> right. So, you know, we were going to go to Vegas, which would have been last weekend, and maybe go to Boise and then just kind of see from there. But, boy, right now with the way the schedule's set up, it's pretty hard to chase points. Yeah, especially if you break anything. You know, you've got uh, really, man, there's not just not – a lot of time in between the events anymore. 
No, you, you've basically taken three to four days off to go to a division race. You've got a day to get there, a day to get home, three days at the track. And uh, it's for us, it's, it's been pretty difficult. So yeah, I can we're see not that. smart enough to quit. We're going to keep going, but <laughs> we just got to pick and choose. So. Yeah, well, um, our, our fingers are crossed for you because um, it, it's tough times for everybody out there. And um, so we're all we're all kind of dealing with this together. So we, let's all hope this thing turns around and quick. Um, yeah, this thing has pretty much brought our business to a screeching halt. You guys are essential, correct? But um, but people because they're they probably have lost their jobs. They're just less likely to get anything fixed. And per, truthfully, people aren't even driving that much anymore, right? Yeah, and that's the problem. I have a horrible commute to work. I mean, the traffic in Northern California is, is just, it's a horrible commute to go 30 miles. And right now, there's no cars on the freeway. So there's no cars. They're not breaking them. I'm not working. Right. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's hope we can get back breaking stuff here soon. Um, uh, it will. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this, because this is something that is kind of on my agenda. I think because when we all get back to it, um, we've all got to turn the screws a little bit and try to get a little bit better than what we were before. Um, is there something in your mind that uh, we could do to make the sport better? Well, I think one of the biggest things on the sportsman level, we need a little better communication with the sanctioning body. I mean, they've gotten better in the last few years, but, you know, we used to have driver's reps, uh, I think, you know, we could have Wi-Fi at the racetrack. I'd really like to see more of the double divisionals. You know, the traveling and the cost of travels, it's tremendous whether you've got a top fuel car or a stocker. And the double up races, I don't, I'm a big fan of that. I mean, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense too. Because uh, travel uh, is so expensive nowadays. But you and I also talked a little bit um, off the air about about the fact that um, trying to get more the buys just in the first round only so that we have a, an even bracket from let's see, either called uh, the Sweet 16 or the Elite 8 on from there. Is that um, – you want to talk a little bit about that and how you kind of came to see that um, being helpful for the sport? So when we had our top sportsman association – uh, the Dennis Armento and John Campoy ran, we used to get paid actually to show up at these races and we'd run the Saturday night shows at, you know, Boise and Salt Lake City and Sacramento. And they always wanted, they didn't want buy runs. They wanted even number of cars coming back. So first round, sometimes we would have two, three, four buy runs in the first round. They'd pair the guys up and race each other. But for second round, we'd always have eight cars, four cars, two cars. Yep. I don't think it's healthy to have buy runs. And I've been... I've taken advantage of it. It's worked in my favor, but I don't think it's advantageous to have buy runs late in the day. We need racing. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about it too, um, and I, I did make mention a couple weeks ago, but, I mean, and we don't have a Final Four for college basketball this year and, you know, all that because um, everything got canceled. But, I mean, can we imagine instead of having the Final Four, having a Final Three and one team gets to sit out and watch the other two competitors go down you know that's essentially what you get. You get a when you get a buy run in the semis, it it gives you a chance to uh, you know catch your breath, uh, maybe you know just see one more time exactly where the car is at for the final. And I'm you know 
like you said, sometimes you're on the good side of that, sometimes you're on the bad side of that, but I'm not convinced that's really how that should shake down. No, I think in the interest of putting out somewhat of a show, you need people racing each other. No one wants to watch a buy run. Yeah, and we could probably clean all that up, right? Just have the buy runs in the first round. That way the guys that did put their foot in it a little bit more, um, you know, they got rewarded for that action. And then after that, now it's uh, you know now it's now it's time to go. Now you got to beat somebody. But if you really do, you know, um, if you're going to qualify up front, in my opinion, I think you should get uh, you, you should get as get the buy rounds early. And then when we get the fans in the stands, we're they're watching later events. Now we've got we we've got uh, even pairings, and you know everybody's on the even field. And, you know, it's, I'm a big fan. I like going fast. I'd probably win more races if I didn't tinker as much as I did or we tinker because Barry and Darren and I, we all like to tinker with the car and learn. But the fast guys, in my opinion, should be rewarded. Uh, it's supposed to be a fast show. You know, we don't want to kick anybody to the curb, but it's called Top Sportsman and called Top Dragster. Yep. And to do that, to accomplish it, it's, just, it's as simple as restructuring the ladder. Yeah. And, I mean, I've done it. It's not hard to do. And uh, put on a show. Right. Yeah, and I think, um, and again, uh, not saying that the, any sanctioning body is doing it wrong per se, but it, but just more in the effort of just tweaking to make it the best possible show it can be. Um, you know, I just think, and I we all see it every day, but I, the, the old adage that it's always been done this way is really a bad way to move forward, I think, and especially as much as our world's going to change over here in the next couple months, uh, to me, that it's always been done this way is a real, uh, just, it just doesn't sit well with me. I tell my guys at work, if we've always done it that way, it's probably the best reason to look at it and say, is that right? Is there a better way? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and lots of times it is, right? There's no doubt. Like there's, we do it this way for a reason, but if that's the only reason, then, uh, to me that, you know, that, that doesn't stand on its own that way. So, yeah, I think you and I are in agreement there that, uh, you know, that would be a tweak that would be easily made, um, would help the very fast guys, give them a little bonus to, to go fast. Um, they're doing that for a reason that, you know, I know it costs a little bit more to do that. It costs a little time, effort, energy, all that stuff, reward them for doing that. And then, still have our our race um where really the competition gets involved so i think you and i are on the uh same page there jeff well i mean i like i said i'm a fan of fast cars i mean it was you know it's up to me i'd run pro mod but that's not in the budget so. right right well um yeah it's uh it's it's tough times but uh and i and i like top sportsmen for that um because it's a close second to pro mod in my opinion but uh, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on. I, I appreciate you doing that. Um, hang in there. Um, you know, good luck with uh, your business. Good luck with uh, your racing this year. And um, and uh, really, really appreciate your time today. Uh, we're going to survive. We're going to go drive racing. And hopefully in six or eight months, we'll all look around and go, wow, can you believe that happened? <laughs> we got through it, right? Yeah, we're going to get through it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that was Jeff Gillette. All right, the half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. You knew that already. 
uh, go to edharneyanddragracelurry.com if you need any legal help during this Rona mess. Um, again, guys, girls, this segment is cut brutally short as there simply were no races to bring you the results of uh, this past week. Um, and it is the worst. Um, at this time, it feels, you know, a little bit different. I guess potentially we're about a month away from lighting them up again. So that is really good news. But not having anything in this segment right now to talk about and the results about who won, who qualified number one, is really uh, disappointing. Disappointing. But uh, I will say this. Um, all three sanctioning bodies have uh, announced that they're going to tentatively get back at it in May. So that's exciting news. So that's a less than a month. Uh, Midwest Pro Mod Series, uh, May, May 8th and 9th, has announced that they are going forward, at least as of today, with the throwdown in T-Town at Osage Casino, Casino in a hotel at Tulsa Motorsports Park. Um, they have rearranged their schedule just a little bit, uh, and with that have included top sportsmen and top dragster in each and every event this year. So I think that is great news for our classes, a tremendous improvement and a really good addition to that Midwest Pro Mod show. Um, additionally, PDRA that same weekend, May 7th through 9th, they've got their Mid-Atlantic Showdown at Virginia Motorsports Park. So we'll have two great Pro Mod and top sportsman, top dragster events going on that uh, first full weekend in May 8th and 9th, 7th, 8th and 9th, I should say, uh, at Virginia and at Tulsa. So that's less than a month away. That's exciting news. And then, of course, uh, NHRA has said they they will tentatively resume May 15th through the 17th with events at uh, Atlanta for Division Two and the Alamo City Motorplex for Division Four. Of course, we will update you when and if we hear any good news from the scheduling front, uh, but that is all we have today for the half-track report. Whoa, let's get out of the groove just a little bit here today and bring on the voice of the NHRA. He's a Fox Sports commentator. He's also Jason Line's best friend. Welcome to the show, Alan Reinhart. Alan, how are you today? I'm great. I wasn't sure you were talking about me until you got to the Jason Line best friend thing, because that's only me. <laughs> no, man, you, uh, you, at least in my opinion, I think you have the greatest job in racing. Um, and I'm, I'll, I'll tell you why. A, you're at the track every week, which is really fantastic. Uh, B, you never break apart or end up upside down. And then you always end up in the winner's circle. Like, it's a pretty good gig. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not complaining. I, uh, you know, I, if you follow me on Twitter, which is the only social media I do, I hashtag everything with love this life. Yes. And I absolutely do. I, uh, everything you said is true for the most part. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a hot rodder at heart, so I do occasionally break apart. Uh, <laughs> the race car that I drive on a regular basis got crashed earlier this year, so I wasn't driving it. But uh, I no longer have a race car, but I understand the pain of going through all that. And, uh, no, I, I, I absolutely – I treasure my job and, and the contacts and the people that I've met uh, in the last 25 or 30 years. It's uh, It's been an amazing ride, and I hope it's a long way from over. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and you are a great follow on Twitter. For our listeners, if you're not following Alan on Twitter, you you got to do that. Um, but uh, why don't you take us back a little bit 
and help us uh, understand exactly how you got into announcing. Because, I mean, you're a hot rodder. Um, how'd you make the transition? Yeah, it was really all just an accident, really. Um, I started racing at the old Tucson Dragway, which is a racetrack that closed in January of 1985. Um, when I was a kid living in southern Arizona, where I still live, we all had dirt bikes. You know, if you were 12, 13, 14 years old and you didn't have a dirt bike, you simply didn't have any friends. Uh, there was a motocross track that just happened to be right next to the drag strip. And occasionally we would go out there and watch the old guys race, you know, the guys that were 20. Um, and sometimes play around a little bit ourselves, but one night we were out at the motocross track and they had funny cars running at the drag strip and they literally were right next door. So we could kind of hear these things and sort of see them. If you climbed up on the top of the grandstands and a couple of friends of mine and I popped the fence and walked across the desert and walked over and saw funny cars for the first time. And at that point, it's like, I got to get more of this. Um, my dad um, would take me out to the drag races when I would, you know, lie about my age so I could be under 12 and get in free, even though I was really 14 or 15. <laughs> and that's where it all started. Um, I started, I made my first run down the drag strip driving my mom's car as soon as I got my driver's license because there was no junior drag racing league then. So you had to have a driver's license. And that's, that's really how it started. The announcing thing came a few years later. I was out at the track. They used to run a Friday night high school program and then a Saturday night bracket program. And I was 17 years old, maybe, or 18 years old. And some friends of mine were going out on Friday to test. Um, I rarely went to the Friday deal because, you know, Saturday you could win money. You know, if you won your bracket, you'd win 125 bucks, and that was all the money in the world. Right. But uh, Gerald Johns, who was an old pro stock racer, did the announcing at the track, and it was very primitive. Uh, the entire tower probably wasn't 10 feet square. We had Krondek clocks, which were state-of-the-art at the time, but there was no scoreboards. There was none of that fancy stuff. And Gerald did the announcing, and his idea of announcing was left-lane Chevy, right-lane Mopar, and then he'd give the times. Left-lane Ford, right-lane Chevy, and then he'd give the times. And that was all he ever said. <laughs> well. well, he invited anybody. And it was a real, real casual atmosphere on Friday night out there. you got a picture. You know, there probably aren't. 50 race cars and there are probably not 150 people on the grounds. And Gerald made the announcement that, you know, Hey, if anybody wants to come up and see our new cron deck clocks and the stuff that he was pretty proud of. So I did, I walked up there and we're sitting there talking. I knew everybody because either they were bracket racers from Saturday or they were the guys that I went cruising with on, you know, our main drag here was a road called speedway. And so I'm talking to him about, you know, Hey, this guy's got a new camshaft and you know, this guy's mom thinks he's the library and this, this. <laughs> and he literally said, you know, Hey, if you know so much about these guys, you should announce. And I said, nah, I, I'll pass on that. And he said, just cover for me for a minute. While I hit the head, I'll be right back. Handed me the microphone, left the room and never came back. And that's the first time I ever announced. <laughs> well, um, you know, if, uh, if you find your calling, no matter how it happens, that's a good thing. I agree. And, uh, you know, and I just, I literally was just up there making fun of my friends. Um, you know, there was, again, there wasn't 150 people on the property and probably weren't 20 of them paying attention to what the announcer was saying. They were just all out there doing their thing. But, uh, that's how it started. Um, Gerald came back up at the end of the evening and he said, look, I need somebody to announce that I can count on. If you want to quit racing and announce, I'll pay you. And I said, no chance. Um, but for the rest of the next couple of years, if I would get beat early, then I would go up and announce the rest of the day. And okay. then Tucson Dragway closed 
Firebird had opened just very recently, um, like within a year of Tucson Dragway closing, just by coincidence. Uh, that put me out of business. The, the only car I owned was a 1970 Plymouth Roadrunner, had a 440 in it with a 5,000 stall converter and 488 gears. I drove the thing back and forth to work every day, drove it to the drag strip on the weekends and raced it. But there was no way that thing was going to go down the highway 120 miles to get to Phoenix. So I was out of business. I didn't have a truck, didn't have a trailer. Right. Went to Firebird one time with some friends, and I literally just jumped in the back of a pickup truck because they were going racing and I wasn't doing anything. And that day, the announcer at Firebird didn't show up for whatever reason. And somebody said, well, you know, the guy that announces the Tucson's here. And they said, well, send him up. I need somebody. Um, that started my relationship with Firebird, what's now Wild Horse Pass Raceway. Yep. At the end of the day, Joe Thayden, the track manager, came over to me and he said, look, I need somebody I can count on. I think you do a decent job. If you want the job, it's yours. And I said, okay, but, um, and then that ended up, it's a really, really, really long story. But within a couple of weeks, I owned a 1974 Pinto station wagon. And that way I could drive back and forth to Phoenix and I became the announcer at Firebird and then just met some people, made some contacts and had some really good fortune over the years. Uh, that's fantastic. And now of course, I mean, you travel the entire country and, um, you know, see everybody, uh, go down the track and you, you probably still make fun of your friends that way. I do. Uh, I just have a bigger pool of friends to make fun of right now. And, and again, it's just, you know, I've always been, <laughs> I've always been kind of the class clown. I had a, I will never forget this, and I wish he was still alive because I'd like to go back and thank him. When I was in middle school, I had an English teacher named Mr. Woodruff, who was one of the best teachers I ever had because he understood that, okay, this is how I'm going to connect with Rex and teach him this, but this is how I'm going to connect with Alan and teach him this, and not everybody's the same. And right. he said more than once, because my job at that point was to sit in the back of the room, lean back in my chair, and be generally obnoxious. That's what I did, and I was good at it. <laughs> and I could picture him at the blackboard turning around, glaring at me. Mr. Reinhardt, you need to pay attention to what we're talking about up here unless you think you're going to flap your gums for a living your whole life. And I would love to go back and thank him because I, I really think he was being more inspirational than anything else at that point because that was just his way. You know, it's like, look, find something good to do with this instead of just being an obnoxious jerk teenager, which I was. Right. Yeah, you'd be uh... – how how um, prophetic he was, right? Back in the day, absolutely, yeah. And, and and you know, I don't know that I understood it at the time, but as life went on, it's like you know, I really think he was trying to tell me, you know, find a positive to for what you're doing instead of just being an obnoxious jerk. And I I think I did. Yeah, you you've done it at a very high level too, Alan. Um, and and now, like I said, you're on the road all the time, but that seems glamorous. I think it. Um, at first, uh, but I what I realize is travel is a young man's game, and um, there are some real issues I think sometimes with uh, with jet setting around the country. Um, how do you feel about that? Uh, I, I love it. I'm going stir crazy being at home all this time. You have to learn to just kind of roll with it. You know that things aren't going to always go your way, and it's not the person's fault behind the counter that your flight got delayed or your hotel reservation is messed up or whatever's going on. And I learned a long, long time ago that you get a whole lot better results. If you walk up to the counter and say, Oh, please, can you help me? Then if you walk up to the counter and go, you better fix this. Right. And it's just, you know, some of this stuff, I've, I've been very fortunate because I've been able to see a lot of things and do a lot of things that I would have never done 
uh, if I had to pay for all this stuff. You know, I, I personally have set foot in all 50 states, which I think is kind of cool. Yep. I would have never done that as a tractor mechanic, which is my trade. Um, and you understand that, you know, there's things that go with that. You miss out on some family time. You miss out on some special occasions. You know, when my friends call me and go, hey, it's going to be the biggest part of the year. We're all going to the lake. And I go, great. I'm going to be in Topeka, Kansas. Um, so you miss out on some of that stuff. But I I love being on the road. The, the racing community is my family. I mean, literally, they are my family. And you get used to the fact that, okay, I'm in a restaurant in Cleveland. And, hey, look, that's the same guy I saw in a restaurant in Houston. Um, and you just kind of learn to – you know, it's it's like any other family dynamic. You don't necessarily see everybody every week, but you're going to run across people every so often, and you know you kind of catch up. Just like if you you know hadn't seen a cousin or hadn't seen an uncle in a couple of months, and you know you take a few minutes and catch up, even though you're traveling in the same circles. You know, there's just so many people out there. You don't necessarily interact every week, and you just kind of get used to that. But I love it. I'm not in any way, shape, or form tired of the road. I have over a million miles on account right now with American Airlines. I wish there was some place you could go because I just get on a plane <laughs> and take off for a month. But uh, right. you know, there's, there's no escaping this right now. No, there there truly isn't. Um, and our guys, girls um, in the top dragster and top sportsman categories don't travel, um, you know, quite nationally. I mean, there are certainly folks who do, but um, but uh, not quite as nationally. But you you do get to know those guys and girls quite a bit as well. Oh, definitely, definitely. There's uh, you know so many of the racers that are running in the two categories came from somewhere else, whether it was super gas and super comp or whether it was competition eliminator or something. So, you know, a vast, a very big number of them I've had some kind of interaction with at some point over the years. And obviously on the travel side, most of them have the advantage of taking their house with them. You know, if, if you're yeah. in a bus or if you're in a coach or if you're in a toter home, you at least get to take your mobile home with you instead of having to, you know, every week check in and out of a hotel. So I think there's definitely some advantage to that for your guys. Yeah, I, th- I would I would agree with that, especially um, in today's environment where we've got to create a little social distance, right? We'll just uh, move the whole house. How about that? Exactly. Not to mention the fact that if you've got all of your stuff that's in your toter, in your coach, it's always going to be there. You know, they're never going to get to a race. Even the ones that fly in and have somebody else drive the rig, they're never going to get to a race and go, huh, I can't believe I forgot my favorite shirt because they've, they've got it. <laughs> traveling with them so huge advantage there but uh you know the the travel part is still you know you, you still miss some time at home and you still it's just it's just a different dynamic i guess yeah well we've agreed i mean we've got now we're all being kind of forced to stay at home and uh you know i'm looking at projects around the house and uh, with cars and stuff like that uh what what exactly are you doing with your free time right now well, I have a shop um, where I kind of work on my cars and my projects, and I'll occasionally do something for a friend. Um, I've been spending quite a bit of time down there. I'm single and live alone, so when I'm home, I'm completely social distance, and I'm also the only one that works in my shop. And living in Arizona, we are not under stay-at-home orders, although you know the malls are closed and the restaurants are closed and all that kind of stuff, so there's not a lot to do out and about. But uh, I spend a the vast majority of my time I spend at the shop just because that's kind of my happy place. The one thing that I have learned though, is like anybody that has a shop, you have got a list of stuff that you've been telling people for the last five years. When I get a little extra time, (laughs) I'm going to take care of this. Of course. 
it turns out time wasn't what was holding me back because now I've got all the time in the world and I'll walk into shop and go, yeah, I could get on that. Nah, I'll do it tomorrow. Right. I'm going to go play some computer games or something. Yes, man. That's so true. That is so true. And, uh, uh, but you do have a car that you're working on right now. Like your Mustang, you're, uh, you're digging into that a little bit, aren't you? I'm trying very hard not to, to tell you the truth because it's done. Uh, I have a 67 Mustang GT that was my high school car. I uh, blew the motor up in it when I was very young, didn't have the money to fix it, and it sat in my dad's backyard for a number of years. And I drug it out. It's been years now, but uh, it's been through a couple of incarnations. It currently has a 700-horse, 428-inch, all-aluminum, dark, small block, and a clutchless G-Force five-speed transmission in it. It's a streetcar. Yeah. But I was uh, I was trying to build a really loud, obnoxious, overpowered, undrivable streetcar, and I nailed it. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> uh, but it now is pretty much done. And I don't want to take it back apart because I like the fact that it's in a position right now. I can literally go turn the key and drive it if I want to. Um, the, the, the dilemma that I'm dealing with right now, uh, and again, for anybody that follows me on social media, my race car got crashed in January. Mm-hmm. It was a Fox body Mustang belonged to a good friend of mine who is a top dragster, top sportsman guy down in this part of the country by the name of Chuck Hawk. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of the community car. You know, if somebody needed it, they drove it. If, you know, whatever. It was, it was kind of a spare car that, that I drove a number of times over the years. Well, it's a low nine-second bracket car that had a 428-inch dart small block set up to run on alcohol that made a little over 900 horsepower. Well, the car got crashed, and it's junk. I mean, it, we brought the thing to my shop. I took the motor trans rear end, all the stuff out of it, and we threw it away, literally. The scrap guy came and hauled it off. Oh, wow. So now... It, there's a 900 horse, 428 inch small block sitting on the floor of my shop. And my car has the same physical size motor. I mean, it would bolt right in, Ooh. including the headers, the, the, you know, the accessory, everything would bolt right in. And I'm trying really, really hard not to put that motor in my car right now. And Chuck, of course, like, Oh yeah, I don't have any use for it. Go for it. Have at it. Um, you know, one thing I've always wanted, I'd love to have a nine second time slip for my street car. And the motor that's in it, uh, I just don't think it would quite get there. I think it would run like 10, 20 or so. But, you know, those last couple of tents are tough. Everybody knows that. Sure. But now that I've got an engine that's got 200 more horsepower sitting on the shop floor, I'm really having to fight myself not to do it because I just don't want to take the car apart again. Right. Right. No, I'm I'm with you. Um, That is the classic angel and devil sitting on the shoulder, is it not? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And uh, literally – Two weeks ago, Chuck came by the shop, picked up a bunch of the stuff uh, off the wrecked car, you know, the ignition box and the, the, all of that stuff. And while we're loading all the stuff up, I said, well, go ahead and back the truck in here. Let's load the motor up. And he said, nah, you know what? I don't really have anything to do with that right now. Why don't you just hang on to it? And he's giving me, you know, wink, wink. And I'm like, dude, he's not helping. You know, the, <laughs> when there's times when you rely on your friends to talk you out of doing stupid things. And my friends aren't helping me. Every one of my friends right now is going, ah, go for it. Yeah, that, uh, well, good luck with that decision is all I'm going to tell you because, uh, you know, I think, I think you're good either way, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, uh, tomorrow's promise to nobody might want to let it rip. Yeah, I guess you're right about that. But, uh, for right now, I really enjoy the fact that this car is, 
I can turn the key and drive it. I could get yeah. in it, and I wouldn't yeah. be afraid to drive it to Phoenix or to drive it across town or anything, no matter you know how obnoxious it is. And I just don't want to take it apart. If uh, if this whole mess lasts much longer, then maybe I will. But for right now, I'm I'm doing my best to hold back. No, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, let's um let's talk a little bit about our classes right now. You get a chance to you know see our classes up front and really have a unique position, I think, um, uh, than most. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on the state of the union of the classes right now, or where you think these things are going? Um, you know, certainly we had like unbelievable bump spots at U.S. Nationals. My guess is those things just get obliterated again uh, this year, assuming you know we get back to it. Um, you know, you, you see these classes uh, have a kind of a, a thought from your perspective. Yeah. I love the high-speed competition. I, I'm a bracket racer at heart, and so I, I love what you guys are doing out there. The thing that scares me more than anything, and it's worse in top dragster than in top sportsman just because it's easier to make a dragster go faster, I'd hate to see it turn into super comp with a 610 index. Yeah. And that's a little bit of what I'm afraid of. You know, you look at Indy last year, there were, what, 30 cars, if I'm not mistaken, in the teens. Yeah. or 31 cars in the teens, um, you know, from 6.10 to 6.19. And I'm just afraid that some of the guys that really would like to race the class are getting locked out. You know, there were a number of people that have seven-second dragsters or high six-second dragsters that would love to come out and compete and be a part of it. But when you look at, you know, the bump spots in Division three and Division four pretty regularly down in the 630 neighborhood, and it just seems like there's a there's a big segment that's getting locked out. I don't think anybody pictured, maybe somebody did, I didn't, when the class was became an official NHRA class a few years ago, that either a huge nitrous system or a pro charger would be required equipment to go racing. I think there's a lot of guys out there that, like I said, have low seven-second, high six-second dragsters that would love to participate. And I just, I'm scared to death that it's going to end up being a 610 index bracket class, and I'd, I'd hate to see that. Yeah, uh, I think the days of uh, throwing a kid on it and a bigger crank are long gone. And, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's interesting, interesting times for sure that way. Um, See, one of the things, I'm, I'm sorry, Rex. One of the things you lose with that, though, is that I think the fans love the underdog thing. If you've ever watched, you know, stock and super stock, if you've got a 15 or 16-second car going off against a 10-second car, that's something that the fans really get into. They'll cheer for the underdog. Yeah. And you're, you're never going to have that big a gap. But I think if you had a 760 car going off against a 610 car, that's a race you can really get excited about. You can really get enthusiastic about. And if it comes down to a almost heads-up category for the most part, you'll lose some of that. I don't know how to save it, but I think that that's something that, that the class is missing a little bit right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And certainly, you know, there are some – uh, divisionals, but uh, on the national event, man, that's a, that's how that's going. And yeah, something we have to uh, probably evaluate as a you know sport, as classes, and all that stuff. Um, well, Alan, I appreciate you coming on today. Um, really, uh, you know, it, uh, good stuff. I appreciate you kind of giving us um, a little background on you and kind of what you're up to. Um, Rob, we're going to go ahead and tag him today. So, uh, Alan, uh, the, we're going to give you the certification tag, the podcast certification. So uh, that means that just like an SFI tag, you can come back and uh, talk anytime you want about uh, whatever else is uh, on your mind. So thanks for doing that today. 
Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, one thing that you guys have shown in your two categories that, that is amazing for anybody that's ever bracket raced, it's fun when you're announcer to go, hey, 002, dead on five. Nice try. See you next week. <laughs> you know, the level of competition that you guys have brought to the table is absolutely astounding. That certainly is the calling card of both your classes. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, man, we're just anxious to get back at it. That's the thing. You and me and millions of other Americans. I can't wait to see you at the racetrack. Yeah, ag- agreed. Guys, girls, that was the great Alan Reinhardt. As we hit the mile-per-hour cone... Let's talk about this. The Jags All-Stars were announced, so that's that's really great news. Uh, that is a very special event held at the Route 66 NHRA Nationals, uh, scheduled for July 9th through 11th at Route 66 Dragway in Chicago. And really, Jags goes all out and treats our classes like absolute movie stars during that event. Uh, so it's just a tremendous, tremendous honor for all the folks who have qualified uh, and re- remember, the way they do this, this is not beginning of the season to the end of the season's qualification. It is essentially your point start after last season's JEGS uh, event. So that's kind of a mid-season of last year to the beginning of this season, which has been really rough to get in. So, uh, But the most of the divisions have already announced – the folks who will go ahead and be running division four still has a little bit of work to do. Um, they, they have to still decide, but uh, in division one in top dragster, it's going to be Jeff Taylor. You know him. He is the man there on the top sportsman side, Jeff Brooks um, and that Henry J that'll be a, a great representative from division one in division two. Uh, top dragster side is Jeff Strickland on the top sportsman side, David Tatum, the third, uh, just standout competitors there from Division Two. Uh, in Division Three, we've got J.B. Strasweg on the top dragster side and Lester Johnson on the top sportsman side. I mean, absolute killers. Uh, as we noted before, Division Four is the only division that still has some work to do. It looks like on the top dragster side, it's going to be Rusty Baxter, who is your first U.S. Nationals winner ever, and Mark Jones uh, competing to try to see who gets that spot. Um, also, and then on the top sportsman side, you know our guy Darian Bosch and Cole Prejean. They, those two dudes are battling it out to see who gets to go. Uh, and you know that Darian wants to go back. He, he talked and came on the show and talked about what – uh, great event that was so um, good luck to all for those uh, folks trying to figure it out and be the division four representative uh, division five your top dragster rep is victoria johnson your top sportsman rep was alan firestone you heard him on the show he was a, just great uh, a couple weeks ago division six uh, top dragster is mike shannon and top sportsman is joe maloff and then Division Seven, your top dragster representative is Cody Weber. And then on the top sportsman side, it's Doug Crumlich, a guy who is knocking on the door for a national championship and uh, really one of the best competitors out there. So those guys and girls have qualified or are very, very close to qualifying for the JEGS All-Star uh, shootout weekend. So that's great for that. Congrats to all those guys and girls for doing that and uh, being getting the opportunity to compete in that tremendous event. 
All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek over in the other lane and take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is today's show. That is episode number 40. So let's pull the shoots on it. Look up. There it is. There's our wind light and that beautiful, beautiful, glorious song. Again, this week reminds me that we really need to celebrate each and every win in our lives. I mean, every single one. Uh, tomorrow is promised to no one. Go tell someone you love them. Go do what lights your hair on fire. Go race where you want to race just because you don't know when your last day could be. You know, I took my own advice uh, this week, and I bought a new hot rod to head to the office in. So uh, who knows what's on tap with us. You know, for us, we might as well enjoy the ride. Um, Hey, special thanks to our guest for coming on today, Jeff Gallette. He was incredible. He's a top sportsman racer out of Division 7. And then, of course, the great Alan Reinhart, voice of the NHRA. Please like and share our Facebook and Twitter pages. Make comments if you don't mind, um, but help us get a little street kid back on the that side. Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. Couldn't help myself. Uh, got a wild hair and bought a new Camaro SS. To get like pandemic pricing with that, or it was interesting negotiation, but they gave me what I wanted, big boy. And so uh, now it's just keep it between the lines. What kind of gas mileage you get with one of those? Oh, the, you know the V8s are pretty good. You, it's not much when you're at redline, but just uh, you know, <laughs> cross country on the highway, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs>